We are in a series on Exodus, the second book in the Bible, and we started last week, and it started with pretty bad news, with the Hebrew people being enslaved and dehumanized and Pharaoh being so intimidated by the people that he plots for their genocide uh, by killing the young babies, boy babies, throwing them in the Nile, and Moses is pulled out. So now we are in Exodus chapter 3, the first 15 verses, and I invite you to turn there with me, and I'm going to lead us in prayer. Let's pray. We wait on you, Spirit of the living God, and ask that you would speak your word to us and open us up to hear it, to be attentive to it and responsive. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus 3, beginning of verse 1, listen to God's word to you. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. And then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. But Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this my title for all generations. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. Several years ago, when I was studying uh, at the seminary in San Anselmo, 
to be a spiritual director. It was a three-year program. One year we started with this particular passage and a reflection question that we were invited to go out and think about, and that was, what is your burning bush? Where do you experience the nearness and the presence of God? I have to tell you that this is a favorite passage for contemplatives, people who believe strongly that the Lord is near and constantly getting our attention through the ordinary stuff of our daily lives. My favorite Christmas present that I received from my cousin was the Beekner book, The Remarkable Ordinary, How to Stop, Look, and Listen to Life. So I would say if there's a theme that keeps reoccurring, and perhaps you've bumped into this as you have been with me as your pastor for many, many years, is this particular theme, that the Lord is near. Even as I sit with people who are grieving, and I pull out scripture and I think, what will I read? So many times I end up reading Psalm 46. The Lord is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. The Lord of hosts is with us. And even when I reply to people on Facebook or email that are going through tough times and I don't know what to say in response, typically I will write, the Lord is near. So that's a central theme for me. And so I have to say that I was absolutely thrilled when in the rotation, uh, as Kurt and I were deciding who preaches on what, and this was my passage, I thought, all right, I already know what I'm going to say. That the Lord is near. Moses and his experience knows that the Lord is near through this palpable burning bush. Though it's not burning up, the Lord is speaking to him in a very present, palpable way in that flame. Even at staff this last week, I brought cards that my cousin had made. And I said, look at these cool photographs. My cousin made these cards out of her photographs. And on the back, she put Exodus 3 on each one. I must turn aside and look at this great sight. It's the way she experiences the nearness of the Lord, by paying attention to the beauty of creation. And so all of us constantly have the nearness of God with us. Also, we look at the divine name. I am who I am. This verb to be in Hebrew, which is this amazing revelation that God is giving of the mystery of who God is, and yet also wanting to be known. I am who I am. I'm the God who is with you. We could spend several sermons preaching just on that verse and on that name. But it is so obvious to me, as we see this fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the seven I am's in the Gospel of John, that God wants us to know that God is present with us always. And then I thought, okay, it's about the nearness of the Lord and how we experience the nearness of the Lord and also how we separate ourselves and don't experience the nearness of the Lord. This passage is great about that because we hide as Moses did. Genesis 3, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord walking in the garden. I thought, okay, we make excuses. I'm not good enough for you, God, and we push God away. Or suffering in the world is the way that we push God away. I decided, okay, this is the message because Exodus is about God leading us out to liberation, freeing us from our sin, and our great sin is that we constantly create separation when God is constantly letting us know that the Lord is near. 
And then I thought, okay, I'm going to end my message by telling you about this great book that I just read that I'm going to talk about with my book group tonight about the 12 steps of humility in radical spirit. The very first one is this. We are to keep the presence, the fear, the reverence, the awe of God always before our eyes and never forget it. It's a part of Benedictine spirituality. It's what has ministered to me the most. And I thought, okay, great. There's my sermon. This is the central message. Knowing and experiencing God's nearness, and it's all true. But I have to tell you, in the last two days, I've realized I was only halfway there. Who is this God who is present to us? Who is this God, and why does God call to Moses? It's not just for Moses to experience intimacy with God, is it? God's heart is revealed in verses 7 through 10. I want to read them again to you. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I've also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt." The verb of God, I am, there's all these other verbs that inform that verb. God sees, God has observed, God hears, God knows their sufferings, as in intimately experiences it. One of the commentators writes this, God does not look at the suffering from the outside as through a window. God knows it from the inside. God is internally related to the suffering entering fully into the oppressive situation and making it God's own. In a later prophetic vision, we will again hear of one who is, quote, a man of sufferings and knowing grief. The presence of this God is a God who internalizes suffering, but then there's more here. God also acts, I have come down to deliver them. And there's even more than that. God's heart for this very oppressive situation doesn't just stop with them, and it doesn't just stop there. It shapes who Israel is called to be. And so as we move into the Torah, the law of God that defines the relationship that the people have with their God, later in Exodus we read this, you shall not wrong or oppress a resident alien, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. You shall not abuse any widow or orphan. If you do abuse them, when they cry out to me, I will surely heed their cry. My wrath will burn. If you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, you shall not deal with them as a creditor. You shall not exact interest from them. If you take your neighbor's cloak in pawn, you shall restore it before the sun goes down. For it may be your neighbor's only clothing to use as cover. In what else shall that person sleep? And if your neighbor cries out to me, I will listen for I am compassionate. This is who this God is, who is present to us, fully revealed in Jesus Christ. Jesus descended from these slaves. Jesus' life shaped by the story of Passover. 
delivered from slavery and oppression into liberation. Jesus, who was born into oppression, born into a refugee family, his kinsman John beheaded for speaking truth to power. He himself suffers injustice, imprisonment, is tortured to death. This is how I am comes near. And this is what is the narrative of the God of our fathers and mothers, the God of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob. This is God's heart. Seeing, hearing, knowing intimately the crushed and oppressed and coming down to pull them out. That's literally what Moses' name means. Pulled out. He is rescued out of the waters of the Nile and actually lives a life of privilege in Pharaoh's court for 40 years, protected for a purpose, so that he can be God's presence to a crushed and oppressed people, leading them out, his own people. This is God's presence for you, Moses, but it's also God's presence through you. Brian McLaren, in his book, We Make the Road by Walking, he writes this. The story of Moses and the escape, or exodus, from Egypt glows at the core of the whole biblical story. It makes one of history's most audacious and unprecedented claims. God is on the side of slaves, not slave owners. God doesn't uphold an unjust status quo but works to undermine it so a better future can come. That revolutionary message is still unknown or rejected in much of the world today. If you believe it, you will live one way. If you don't, you'll live another way. And then at the end of that chapter on this particular passage, he concludes with the following discussion questions. Name the Hebrew slaves of today's world. Who today is being exploited and crying out for help? Who does backbreaking work for which others reap the rewards? How can we join in solidarity with them, seeking liberation? Now, I don't know about you, but as I was being raised in the faith, I was not raised to ask those kinds of questions. In fact, as I think back on my journey of faith, I wasn't ever taught that this was an important part of God's heart and experiencing God's nearness. I grew up the first eight years of my life. I lived in Maryland on my grandfather's farm. And we grew up Presbyterian. We went to a very small Presbyterian church. And this church had a black balcony. That means a balcony where the slaves could sit and the slaves could not come and sit with the whites. Now, I don't remember anyone being horrified by that. That's just what was a part of our church. There was a black balcony. I also don't remember seeing anybody sitting there. When we moved, we moved to the Central Valley to Visalia, which is a very rich and expansive farmland, as most of you know. And there was a very large Mexican population doing the hard labor that made our livelihood possible, our lives possible. 
None of those farm laborers went to our church. We went to the Presbyterian Church there in Visalia. That's where I was ordained. Their students went to our schools, but none of the families were in our church. I know more now about the difficulty of their lives, their housing, their wages, working conditions, um, lack of rights, but their suffering was never a topic of concern in our church, at least that got my attention. I became a Christian through Young Life Ministry when I was 16 years old. I was in high school, all of my friends, high school friends, we got together every week and immersed ourselves in scripture. We were learning, reading about Jesus for the very first time. But I never heard anything about God's heart for the poor and oppressed. This was during the 60s and 70s. And a lot of things were going on in the world, but it just never came up. What did I know about the nearness of God? Not as much as I thought I knew. Even through seminary, in my 30s, even into ministry, into this passage again and again, I was missing what God wanted Moses to know, what God wanted the Israelites to know, what God wants all of us to know. I am who I am. That name is all tied up with God's heart for the poor and oppressed. I have observed the misery. I've heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. I've come down to deliver them from the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. This last week, uh, I found out last minute um, about a rally that was going on, rents too high. Uh, many of you have heard about the plight of many, the poorest of the poor on the peninsula who are essentially getting evicted because their rents are going up 45%. Um, I, wanted, I wanted to go to these rallies. I haven't gone to one because I couldn't, because of my schedule. And this was on that very windy, stormy, cold night this last week. And I had a meeting that night, and I went home, and I thought, I am not going to this. I am tired. I don't really want to go. And I got home, and I walked into my very warm house. I just thought... This is really bad. I, I have a very warm house that is almost paid for, that I can afford, and there are people living in this area that will not have a home and cannot stay here. So I went there. It was a very small, humble group of about 50 or so that ended up making a big impact. The mayor ended up showing up, and there's some negotiating going on, which is wonderful. But the interesting thing for me, and I'm learning to pay attention to the ways God gets my attention, and oftentimes it's through emotions that come up and I don't know where they're coming from. I walked to that group, into that group, and I just got emotional. I just got very, very emotional. And it was holy ground. It, it was just very obvious to me with ways, in ways that I couldn't 100% appreciate necessarily. But I knew that the Lord is near, just being right here. Several years ago, our men's Bible study read um, Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail. And I pulled it out last night and I read it. And I want to thank Mike Garut and the men for spending some time in this. But I want to read to you a quote that really got my attention. 
Martin Luther King writes from jail, I have been so greatly disappointed with the white church and its leadership. They have been more cautious than courageous and have remained silent behind the anesthetizing security of stained glass windows. I have watched white churchmen stand on the sideline and mouth pious irrelevancies and sanctimonious trivialities. I have heard many ministers say, those are social issues with which the gospel has no real concern. I have looked at the South's beautiful churches with their lofty spires, and I have found myself asking, what kind of people worship here? Who is their God? I have to say I've been grateful for the white church leaders who've spoken up this week to denounce the slanderous words spoken by our president against the people in countries that are notoriously crushed by poverty and oppression and an inordinate amount of suffering because God moves toward those suffering, because God moves toward the oppressed, not away. And to be clear that this is the God who is near and has come to us in Jesus Christ. I am who I am is the presence of God with those crushed by the powerful, setting them free. You know, black churches across this nation will reference this passage and this book today because it reveals God's heart, fully embodied in Jesus Christ, who said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. Moses had to know that about God's heart in order to actually go where God sent him to Pharaoh and to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. Over and over and over again. Moses had to know that about the nearness of the Lord that this is who God is. The Lord is near. And as I experience the Lord's nearness more and more, it's not just a comforting therapeutic nearness, which is true. God comes near to heal, but that healing is ascending healing that sends us out. As Jesus said, as, the, as God has sent me, I'm sending you to be in solidarity with those who are crushed by poverty, by oppression, by enormous systemic suffering. This is where God took me this week. And I hope I'm open enough to keep going in that direction because truly that is holy ground. Let's pray. God, forgive us for truncating your revelation in any ways that we've done that. Thank you for your healing and your resurrection that gives to us the call of Jesus Christ and the power to fulfill it. Thank you that you not only speak to us, but you speak in and through us. So fill us anew this day 
to be your people, to be your people moving out with your heart to the people who need it most in the world. Help us to be courageous. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I'm going, to, I'm going to sing a song that might not be familiar to you. Um, so 